You're listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. You can hear the show live Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN and streaming at accesswdun.com. You can find all things Martha Zoller at marthazoller.com. It is the Martha Zoller Show, and joining me right now is Congressman Buddy Carter of the 1st Congressional District, a great friend of the program. And, I, I mean, I guess they were just all out on holiday, Buddy. You know, that we got the we got two wars going on. We've got our troops being attacked on a regular basis, and the Secretary of Defense, who is sixth in line, uh, is in the hospital in ICU, and nobody knows it. And I tell you, that's inexcusable. Um, there's no question that uh, the president should have been one of the first people to know what was going on. And not only was he in the hospital, he was in ICU. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's there's a difference in being in a hospital and being in ICU. This guy was in ICU. Look, I, I am I'm not a big Lloyd Austin fan. Um, I did vote to um, to allow him to be considered for this position, even though he had not been at an army over a certain period of time. I'll be quite honest with you. It was a little bit of home cooking. You know, he's from Thomasville and I, I wanted to have a local guy up there, but at the same time, um, after what happened in Afghanistan, my respect for he and Millie both have just deteriorated to the point where I, it's just, you know, I, I, I really do think we need a change. So, Nevertheless, but this particular situation is is really inexcusable. It is because he did, he was, even though he was in ICU, he did make a call to transfer some of his duties to his deputy, but didn't tell the, the person why. So, you know, it, it, so he was, it wasn't like he was completely out. He was in ICU, but he was making phone calls. He was doing things. I mean, so I think, uh, you know, this needs to be looked at very closely, but it's another um, indicator that nobody's running the White House, so nobody felt like they needed to tell him anything. You know, who's really running the show? We don't know. Well, that's the question I get most often. When I, one of the questions I get most often when I'm in the district, who's really calling the shots over there? Because it's obviously not Joe Biden. It's not Kamala Harris. Who's doing it? And, you know, it's a difficult question to answer. Uh, we hear everything from uh, you know, Obama's people who are still over there and, and have been brought back by Biden that, you know, the Obama but administration. Know, I, but you know what's I the worst know. thing about that? If it's that option, buddy, and you take a look at the people that are actually doing it, it's the C and D team of Obama. The A and B team of Obama are out making money. Okay. They're, you know, the ones that actually, you know, kind of manage things pretty well, even though I wasn't the huge, the biggest Obama fan, he at least tried to govern a little more center left than far left progressive. Okay. So that A and B team is out making money. The Austin Goolsby, the Larry Summers, the, uh, you know, David Axelrod, they're all out making money. They're not the ones calling. Good for them. Yeah, good for them. (laughs) Good for them. Keep them as far away from the government as possible. Now, over the weekend, there was a deal cut on um, the budget, and we've got these couple of looming deadlines. So your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, I'm glad we got a top-line budget number. We needed that. That's the one thing we couldn't get past, and we couldn't really do our work until we got that number. And there was a lot of controversy about that. It, the, the settlement that came about was $1.5 trillion and $1.59 trillion. 
And that's important because that is what was the top line number in the Fiscal Responsibility Act, and that's what everybody thought. But keep in mind now there were members, particularly in the conservative realm, who were saying that, no, that's the top line number. You don't have to go all the way up there. You just That's as far as you can go. We want to go even lower. We had numbers floating around of 1.49 of 1.54, and and that's that's the point they were making. That's one of the points they were making. The other point they were making is that we want to know about these side deals that were made between then Speaker Kevin McCarthy and and the administration. There were other deals that were made outside of this 1.59 trillion. And that adds up. If you will remember, it was just announced and, and just reported here recently that we actually spent over a trillion dollars more than we budgeted last year. And and that's what they're getting at is this $1.59 trillion, what's the actual number? If you calculate in all the side deals that are part of it, then you're talking about, you know, another 75, another $100 billion added on top of that. So what you're going back this week, correct? Are y'all yes, going we'll back go this back week? Tomorrow. Yes. So tell we'll us back what you anticipate doing this week. Well, as you know, we've got this latter continuing resolution. We've got four four appropriation bills that have to be done by the nineteenth. I guess that's um, Friday week. Um, that they've got to be done by that. So we got two weeks to get them done, and that's the agriculture. Um, T-HUD, Transportation, Housing, Urban Development, it's uh, Military VA, Milcon VA, and then also it's um, Energy and Water. Those four have got to be done by the 19th. Otherwise, those departments shut down unless we pass another continuing resolution or unless we get them done. And it's important to note that the Speaker has indicated that he's tired of short-term continuing resolutions, and he's not going to do anymore. So, you know, he's kind of put that, taking that off the table. But if we do get these four done, then we've got to get the rest of them done by February the 2nd. Now, the interesting one to me about these four is the agriculture, because we've already tried in the House to pass the Ag Bill twice, and it's failed. So I suspect what they're planning on doing is just bringing the Ag Bill from over in the Senate and let us start working on it and then go to conference with them and try to see if we can't get it worked out. But I will tell you, we've got a lot of work to do in the next two weeks in order to keep these four departments open and keep them running. Well, I mean, are people within the caucus acknowledging, and I'm not expecting you to name names, but that basically we wasted a whole lot of time with this whole Kevin McCarthy ouster because basically, with all due respect to Speaker Johnson, he's having to make similar kinds of deals that Kevin McCarthy had to make. Because the numbers are the numbers, regardless of who the Speaker is. Okay, you've got no, you've got a democratically controlled Senate, you got a Democrat in the White House, and you got a plus one or two, depending on the day, in in the House. So it was really a fight that lost us valuable time. There's in no my question view, about that. In my view. And, and- I would agree totally. I mean, that, it was a total waste of time, a total waste of the taxpayers' time, a total waste of, of Congress's time. And what it has resulted in now is that, you know, we're up against the wall, and, and now we've got to get this done. Now, it will be interesting to see how this plays out in the next two weeks because if Speaker Johnson, Mike Johnson, does have to put these bills on the floor as, as suspension bills and use Democratic votes to get them passed, and 
you know, how is that any different from what Kevin McCarthy did? It's not. It's the same thing Kevin did. Kevin kept the kept the government open by by putting the bills, the continuing resolution before the um, before Congress and before the House in a and and just with um, just with a bill that would pass and and with Democratic votes. And Absolutely. if Mike Johnson does the same thing, that's going to take a lot of criticism. He's going to be taking a lot of criticism from the from the far right. Well, they used to call that bipartisanship, Congressman, and we'll yeah, see what happens. If you, we'll see what happens with that. Listen, we always appreciate you being on. If people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? They can go to our website. It's um, buddycarter at, at um, house.gov. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. It's where North Georgia comes to talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Joining me right now is one of my favorite people, Kelly Leffler. Uh, Kelly uh, is a former United States senator, a business person, a data person. That's the thing. I really think that's the thing I love the most about you, Kelly. So it is so great to have you and Happy New Year. Thank you, Martha. Great to be with y'all. <laughs> Happy New Year to everyone. Hope everyone's being safe out in this weather today. Oh, my gosh. It is It is crazy. I'm just glad it's not cold enough to be snowing, though. Okay, so... That's right. That's well, it could be tonight. <laughs> could be tonight. That's right. And so everybody's wa- wa- uh, buying bread and milk, so it'll be all right. Anyway, <laughs> so listen, tell us before we get into I'm going to ask you what you think about this Secretary of um, defense thing, but I want to ask you about rally right first, because when I read this, I was like, hooray, because we have big problems in the areas that rally right is going to address. So tell us about it. Yeah. So rally rights, a tech company I've been building for the last three years, really in response to what I learned in 2020. And certainly Martha, you and I have talked extensively about the organization I've built greater Georgia which is a nonpartisan nonprofit voter mobilization organization designed to grow the conservative movement. We do a lot of advocacy around election integrity, public safety, education, uh, protecting you know our way of life here in Georgia through growing the conservative movement. But it's not enough just to talk. We have to have action. And as a businesswoman, my instinct is always to, to say, what can we do? What can we learn from the problems we have today and fix them going forward? And so I built an organization called Rally Right. We have a range of technology apps and tools for campaigns of all sizes. And certainly, as you know, Martha, you saw firsthand um, here in Georgia, our Senate races were the largest in the country. But not every campaign has the resources that totaled nearly a half billion dollars between our two Senate races in 2020. Um, many races are run on a shoestring and they need tools. They should be technology driven tools because that's where you get efficiency. You're able to collect data. So I built a payment uh, technology app as well as a field organizing app. Because if you're a donor, when you donate to a campaign, you want to know that those funds are going to be used for the campaign to be able to help the candidate to win. And how do you do that? You do it through fundraising and voter contact. And our field app is really designed to dramatically cut the cost and increase the accountability of doors programs, of ballot initiatives, um, of you know vote ballot chasing, um, early and absentee ballot, get out the vote initiatives. And so we've automated those um, activities on the field side using the gig economy type 
approach to technology in the same way Uber and Instacart work. Well, and that's exciting, too, because I know that, first of all, through the through the data collection and through the online um, fundraising, the Democrats have just been eating our lunch. And a lot of it, in my view, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, is that there's not a lot of confidence in the platform called When Red, which is the one that that most Republicans use. I mean, I had a huge problem in 2020 when I donated through Win Red, where they continued to charge me on a monthly basis, even though I had done a one-time donation. And I know there were a lot of people in that bucket, you know, that that had that same problem. And even though I will donate through Win Red, if that's the only option that I have, I don't feel confident about it. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. Well, Martha, so many of us found that out the hard way. Uh, the boxes on the donation pages were automatically ticked that said, make this a recurring donation. So whether you gave $5 or 500 then every month that would come out of your credit card or your bank account. And um, we set up our payment processor so that campaigns cannot automatically tick that page. Um, and it, it makes it easier for the donor to have confidence in a platform where when they use it once, they have a good experience, they'll contribute again if they want to. Right. And that's so that automatic um, option, you know, we we don't build that into the platform. Um, now, a campaign can do that through certain campaigns, but the donor, we have a number of warnings that pop up and let donors know, okay, you know, are you sure? Uh, secondly, on the data side, um, too many times we've gotten texts and emails from campaigns and we're sitting here saying, how did they get my uh, cell phone? How are they texting me, calling me, emailing me? Um, that's data leakage. Either the payment processor is selling your data uh, or the campaign is selling it or other um, processes. What I want to say in a world of artificial intelligence, proprietary campaign data is going to be incredibly valuable. And so on the fundraising side, donors want their names to be protected so that other campaigns can't come after them. And campaigns should want to protect their donors so that we don't have donor burnout. And, and we also don't know how donors are being approached by other campaigns. You know, we all get tired of those 500 time match emails, like limited time. Are you not really a Republican? You're not giving, you're not, you know, you're going to be off the list. No one wants to be like threatened into donating. So what we're trying to do is create a positive environment for the payment processor to raise that awareness of respecting the donor, respecting the campaign. So we're talking about Rally Right, uh, which is a new organization that Kelly Leffler, the former United States Senator and current businesswoman and data data person uh, is putting together. And the, the fundraising part of that is called Donate Right. And uh, But there's also another part, which is another area where I'm sure you learned through your work with Greater Georgia that we needed to do a lot better job, and that's the canvassing part, the getting people out, the mobilizing grassroots, and being able to get those grassroots people out so that when someone knocks on your door, it is somebody you know not somebody who's just shown up there. That's right. So Field Right is an app. You can go to it in the App Store now and, you know, the Apple App Store or, or Google Play and download it and sign up to be a canvasser so that when we have campaigns that come to us and say we need an on-demand field program to canvas in Gainesville, in um, Gwinnett, 
no matter where. I mean, we've got a, a network of canvassers, hundreds of canvassers now across the country. Um, and by the way, our efforts are national at this point. Um, we have uh, really statewide it, across the state. Um, 26 states uh, candidates using our payment processor and about a half dozen states using the field app. And so we have this on-demand ability to supply campaigns with door knockers uh, that are trained, that are vetted, that are automated into our payment system so that when they complete walkbooks, they get paid automatically. And it comes at a significant discount to existing doors programs, um, as much as 50% or more off of a traditional, um, you know, building out a doors program where you have to recruit, fly people down from other states to hit doors, and it gives you all data. Because what happens is if you don't have a coordinated doors program, then you're not in possession of the data, the surveys that are being conducted at the doors, the feedback that you're getting from voters, uh, and you're not getting the full picture of what you're actually paying to have done. Absolutely. So I want to ask you a couple of more questions about just other things. Um, looks yeah. like the last poll I saw was roughly 22% of African Americans are considering voting Republican. That's the highest number we've seen in probably since 1960, if you want to know the truth. Um, what do you think about that? And are you seeing that in your data that you get from Greater Georgia and Rally Right? We absolutely are, and we've been working on growing the involvement of the black community, the Hispanic community, the Asian community, and the conservative movement for three years. And we, so we've had these conversations every day, day to day, whether we're at the grocery store, the gas station, registering voters, whether we're doing a black leaders roundtable. Look, as Americans, regardless of our race or creed, we care about the economy. We care about public safety and schools. And the direction of the country is is we're on the wrong track, and that's widely agreed by 80% of the country. Uh, so regardless of the, the walk of life that you come from, your background, your skin color, you want to live the American dream. You want your kids to have the opportunities that you saw growing up or have better opportunities, and we're going in the opposite direction. And so what I see people saying is, this isn't working for me. My life is not better than it was four years ago. I want something different. And what conservatives are offering, the, the Republican Party, is about economic discipline and opportunity so that the government isn't in charge of your life. You're able to say, I want to live this way of life. I want to achieve these dreams. I don't want to depend on the government. And you even have the Biden campaign saying, um, and, and even Michelle Obama recently was saying, the government needs to provide more and more. Well, we don't want that. We want to decide how our dollars are spent. So I, I'm not surprised at all. So you served in the United States Senate, and we found out this weekend that uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin uh, not only, I mean, had a surgical procedure on the 22nd of December, that somewhere around the 29th of December or the 1st of January, he had some sort of complication, went into the hospital, was in the, not only the emergency room, but in ICU, and that it was four days before it seemed anybody in the administration or anybody else knew about this. Even the person he turned over his duties to, he didn't tell them why they were doing it. Give us your thoughts on that. 
Well, this is a dereliction of duty that deserves uh, investigation. Uh, I see a there's I believe there's a congressman that's already brought articles of impeachment. I think, first of all, let's look at this administration and the tone that is set at the top. And whether I'm in the Senate or in the business world, the tone is set at the top. Biden has been out of office in 2023. He took 148 days of vacation. Okay, so that's someone that's not in touch. And this is happening while American troops are getting fired on by Iranian militants. And there is no response. There's no accountability. There's no transparency. It's why the American people don't trust what's going on in Washington. It's one more example of why we need change at the top and throughout the entire administration. And that can only be done if we make sure that the Biden administration is not in power come 2025. Because this is a dire situation, particularly in light of what's going on. But even if that wasn't happening, think about the hundreds of thousands of troops whose leadership is asleep at the wheel. I mean, that's tragic. They deserve so much better. And uh, this should be really a central message for um, accountability in Washington. And we can hold people accountable at the ballot box. So, Kelly Leffler, again, tell people how they can find out more about Rally Right. Yeah, so you can go to rallyright.com. If you're interested in canvassing, you can download the Field Right app, F-I-E-L-D-R-I-G-H-T, uh, in the app stores, Google and Apple app stores. And um, we'd love to have more. We've got hundreds of Georgians signing up. We've got campaigns looking at using it. We've been deployed in multiple states and we're going to be very very busy in 2024 so look forward to keeping you updated on it absolutely kelly leffler thank you so much for being with me today great to be with you martha as always putting the talk in news talk it's the martha zoller show on am 550 and fm 102.9 wdun it is the martha zoller show shondell summers here with me this today and the memer of congress Representative Mike Collins. That never gets old, Mike. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing fine. Happy New Year. It's a great. It's great to have you here. Listen, help me here, okay? Y'all went through, yeah. and I know you weren't a part of all of it, but I'm just going to say y'all in the general congressional sense. <laughs> y'all went through this replacing of Kevin McCarthy, which drug out for however many weeks. Then um, the numbers didn't change. In fact, they got worse. Because we lost Kevin McCarthy and George Santos, and now we're one or two, two um, majority. And yeah, I asked another one. So yep. And I asked you. I asked Andrew Clyde. I asked Buddy Carter. I asked every member of Congress that I had on. You understand the numbers haven't changed, and that Mike Johnson is going to have to make the same kind of deals that Kevin McCarthy made. And all of you said, yeah, we understand, but we're getting things done. You especially said, I feel like we're going to move forward on the appropriations bills, all that kind of stuff. So where are we? And what is with this ridiculous discussion of possibly vacating Mike Johnson? Well, I think there's uh, there, there's two main things up here that are going on simultaneously. We all know, uh, we, uh, I especially campaigned on the debt being the number one threat to this country. And we also campaigned on the fact that this unsecured border that we have down there, this invasion, 
we have got to get under control. And uh, neither have really been addressed um, to a lot of people's satisfaction. And so that's where you're seeing the combination, the combining the two. Uh, we need to do some things now. There's no reason that we couldn't. We're, we're not out of time today. Uh, we've gotten to the 19th as far as when the first continuous resolution runs out and then into February with the second one. But there are things that we could do. We need to be continuously forcing, pressing the Senate to do their job over there. We've sent them so many good bills that they do not touch. And, and you know, to your point, uh, a lot of it is because they feel like that we don't have any leverage because we don't have enough numbers. That's very true. But that still doesn't mean we don't go, we don't go to the last hour trying to push this thing and push the narrative because everybody in this country knows that this in, this invasion from our southern border is serious. It is very serious now. So, and they also know that the debt, we have got to start doing something about getting this debt under control. So a week or so ago, the, the speaker and the leadership came up with an agreement with, I guess, the Senate and the White House, which roughly was about $16 billion in cuts, uh, which is nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. But it's more than was able to be gotten by anybody else in the last few cycles. Um, and I think that I looked at it. You can tell me if I'm wrong. They were actual cuts, not just, you know, reduction in increases. No, you, and you're right. You're right. Uh, but the previous speaker had some side deals that were uh, totaling about $50 billion. Well, to, and, and, so and Johnson he shouldn't have been kicked out. Of yeah, yeah. Yeah. He yeah. shouldn't have been but, kicked out. But that's just, you know, my opinion on that. Well, it, it, you know, I've said it time and time again. It was bad timing. Um, You know, it it, it really hampered the process because we had finally gotten moving on our appropriation bills. And and we maybe, who knows, maybe not be looking at a totally different scenario. Um, That being said, there's nothing we can do about that. I mean, here we are now with what we've got in front of us that we've got to deal with. You know, this is basically the, the Fiscal Responsibility Act. Um, with uh, with some of the provisions, the extra spending pulled back uh, that nobody really knew was in there, and that's that's better than what the FRA that was passed is. It's still not limit save grow, which was what I supported. Um, you know, I, I I don't think that it will not pass. Um, you know, if you give Democrats the the opportunity to continue with their same pro- programs, they're going to do that. Um, but so, I just think that we need to continue fighting and fighting hard until the last day. So I'm, it's going to sound like I'm bouncing around here, but I really want your opinion mm-hmm. on a couple of things. In the Oversight Committee, when Hunter Biden went in earlier this week, I kind of think what the Republicans should have done is taken a recess and then then come out and said, hey, we'll swear you in right now. And and you can do your your you know, you can talk right now. What do you think about that? Well, in, in history, in every time that this has ever been done, people have done uh, behind the doors, closed door sessions. Right. No, I uh, agree with first. that. Yeah. And, and you know, you know the reason why that is because lawyers more or less do it's a deposition with lawyers. And it's not a five minute session with a Republican and a five minute session with a Democrat uh, representative asking questions. And to me, that behind I know it's behind closed doors, but you do both. But you do the closed session first, right? And and you get that part out of the way. I would have I would have much rather seen him go over there with Sergeant Arms, handcuffed fellow, and tell him that you're in contempt of Congress. 
Okay, well, that's good. That's the answer. I wanted to get your answer on that, but I think mm-hmm. I, I understand why they do a deposition first, and that's what he should have yeah. done. That's a common practice, all of that. But he was poking the bear, you know, The, the and I think we should have made an example of him. But, you know, maybe how we did that, we would differ on. So that's all right. Finally, um, you know, let me help me understand just kind of what it's what is going to happen over the next few weeks or what you would like to see happen over the next few weeks. What I would like to see happen over the next few weeks is that we get this settled on on the spending for the 2024, which actually started, you know, back in uh, October one. We've got to get that done. Then we need to get a budget kicked out. And, and I don't care what the White House's budget is. I don't care about anybody except this House of Representatives getting their budget done. Normally, it's due in April, April the 15th. I'd love to see us have it done January 30th. Get this thing out so that we've got a good top-line number so that when we get through with appropriations, we don't have certain people saying, oh, hey, the top-line number is wrong. And then we have to go back through a pro skin. That's kind of what happened this last time. Let's get everybody, you've got your opportunity to discuss and tell us what you think the, the top line numbers are. Once we settle it, it's settled. Move on. Time to go to appropriations. Get these appropriation bills out of committee and vote it off the House and put over there in the Senate and force those rascals over there to, to, to do something, uh, anything, uh, to get this country back on track. That's what I'd love to see happen in the next six to nine months and you know there's a lot of work to be done right i mean we've got elections we've got all kinds of things and you know typically people love to put things off in an election year but i don't think we can afford that no no we can't and and some people say well you know you've got you just said the border was important you can address every bit of this stuff in your appropriations and force these people to spend money to put that wall up to make sure that we get back to the regulations of remaining in Mexico, getting our adjudication, getting our judges down to that border. There's everything you can think of that needs to be done. You can address this right through the appropriation process, which has been abused and neglected since the mid-90s. Well, and it's hurting a lot of people that are trying to come here legally. Um, and I'm sure you get requests in your office all the time on these kind of cases uh, where there are people that are going through the process legally. And because of what's happening at the border, the time frames are just unbelievable uh, on the legal yeah, you, immigration side. And you know, it doesn't what, make what, any sense. What, amaz- what, I mean, what doesn't make any sense to me and amazes me is how if, if you're impoverished and, and you're looking for a better life, and then you turn around and you spend $15,000 per person with a cartel. Where are you getting that money from to come across illegal? Why not just go up to the gate or the bridge or the crossing and say, hey, I'm impoverished. We've got no money, and we're looking for a better life. Why would you pay people ten dollars to $15,000 per person to sneak you across the border and then say, oh, hey, here I am? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. No, it we've got to we've got to get it going. Listen, I always appreciate you being available, Mike. And um, you know, you have a good sense of humor about it because Lord knows the only way you're going to survive up there is to have a good sense of humor. And you're going to get some <laughs> get some work done too. We yeah. appreciate you being with us today. Well, you know what, Martha? It's an honor to be here, and and I enjoy it. I, I, I love being in the fight up here. And uh, if there's anything we can do for anybody. 
I don't care if you're in the 10th district or not. You need some help, you call us. We'll be glad to take a look at it and point you in the right direction or see what we can do. It's local radio, and that's why you're listening. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. It is the Martha Zoller Show. Bud Hughes is with me right now. And, Bud, how are you? Thanks for having me in. It's, yeah, uh, it's yeah. So we're very, pleasure to be here. We're very excited because, uh, okay, so my whole family are car people, and they're always trading. My boys and my husband are always trading videos about cars and things that are happening. Well, Saturday night, we got this video uh, from a YouTube channel called Will It Hall, and they had in it uh, the Edison Electric semi-tractor uh, that uh, was a basically a diesel to electric tractor that uh, is a semi-truck. And it was so common sense that even I watched the video. We not only watched it, we ended up watching it again uh, on our big, big old TV right after all of that so we could get everything with it. And then the boys and my husband and I were talking about it all night long. So I said, I got to get this guy on. So Chase Barber is here with me right now. He's the head of Edison Electric. And we welcome you to the program. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, so first of all, I love the way you took the pot shots at the Elon Musk uh, semi-truck, you know, semi-truck, that this was sort of the inspiration for you to try to see how can we do this better. I mean, that's pretty well exactly what it was. <laughs> well, you, you, you uh, went so far as to buy one and waited four yeah, years to get yeah, it. <laughs> reserve the Tesla semi-truck. Really, when they came out, I, I was one of the first people to actually reserve a Tesla Semi. And after like five years of waiting and not getting my truck and looking at electric trucks, we just kind of figured, screw it. We'll make our own electric truck and it'll be better. And I'll call it the Edison. So <laughs> how it took you about a year to build it. What I loved about what you did was that these were pretty much parts that were available that a if if you was a truck driver and hopefully you're you're going to get all the business hopefully at Edison Edison uh, Motors but uh that it's something that average people could do they could convert their trucks for to a diesel electric truck Yeah I mean we tried to make as many of the parts off the shelf as we possibly could I don't like the way the world's going with um I think there's such planned obsolescence and too many custom parts that you can't source, you can't find. It becomes increasingly difficult. So when we decided to make the truck, our whole ethos was making it as easy to service and easy to repair as possible. Because that's the way, like, electric, if it's done really right, can be easily repairable, easily serviceable. But they're just making cars now that are so jammed full of things that you can't work on, you can't touch, you can't, and it's driving me nuts. So we figured we'd do the opposite. Well, you know, we're also in the era of, and you pointed out in your video about the truck, we're in the era of $3,000 headlights for cars. You know, what What are we thinking? Yeah, it, it's absolutely insane. I've seen that before, where the headlights were 1500 each, like, yeah, that's nuts. Like, I've seen it where turn signals on a car, like a new turn signal, a new Kenworth is like four or $500. The turn signal on a truck that's 20, 30 years old is $4. Yeah. 
Well, like we've gone away from parts that were mass produced. It used to be that a turn signal on a 1962 Western Star was the exact same as on like a 1995 Kenworth. Like they were the same exact same turn signal assemblies, mass produced by anybody that you can grab those parts off the shelf. Somehow we've gone now to five hundred dollar ones, and like it makes no sense. Well, you know, I think it's also why we. Well, absolutely. When when my son in two thousand eight, my son converted a diesel rabbit to vegetable oil. Okay, he was he was did not want to pay four dollars a gallon for gas, and so he figured out how to do it, and he did it in my husband's shop, and and he drove that car until he finally sold it about ten years later. And he did the same kind of thing. He did it with parts he could find. He went to pull apart shop, you know, pull apart yards. He did all that kind of stuff. Well, your project is a gigantic project compared to that. But it's really the same concept of making it where you can work on it. And I loved when you were sitting on the, the, I guess, the platform over the wheel and looking at the engine because you can't do that anymore. <laughs> no, no. Not on too many vehicles, at least. And I think it takes somebody that's a mechanic like you guys are to to realize that you, at some point in time, you've stood on a tire and tried to repair things on your truck. Uh, you, you can't, you know, it, it's you can't you can't work like that. Uh, you were talking about the bolts on the frame being uh, basically a, a driven-in rivet that's peened over. Um, but you know you can't you can't work on that. So all your whole stuff, all your frame and everything, is bolted together with grade eight stuff. That's you know that's just common sense. Yeah, and it's the way they used to be made for the last eighty years. <laughs> so tell me what has happened since this video came out because it has gone viral. Yeah, I mean, since the video came out, the truck's finished up its testing in Ontario. Everything's approved, so we're able to finally issue our VIN number and then drive the truck on the road. So we went through all of our testing stuff, so we're going to ship it back home here, put the VIN number on it, license plate on it, and then we're going to go start putting it to work. Way cool. So do you, how do you think the, the, what is the government red tape for you to be able to have this thing on the road for you in Canada? Uh, surprisingly not that much. It was a $25 application fee, and then we had to go get it inspected, tested. That that did take two, three months. But it was only 25 bucks in Canada. Wow. In the U.S., it was like 600000 to go do it. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> it, was, it was way more expensive if you want the U.S. one than the Canadian one. That is so crazy. So what's next for you on this project? Uh, well, the next thing on the project is just that. We're going to go put it to work, start hauling some stuff, and we're already working on building the next trucks in our shop right now. That is so fantastic because I do think they're trying to reinvent the wheel in a way they don't need to. I mean, I want things to be more efficient, okay? I want things to be as clean as they can be. But I also don't think this idea of forcing people to get rid of everything they know in order to make it happen is going to work. No. And I think it's the reason why, to be honest, we see so many production delays and we've seen so many electric vehicle companies that have tried to come in there and they promise they're going to build thousands of trucks and get it to market after one prototype. And Or you got companies worth billions and billions of dollars, and it takes eight years to develop a truck. 
because they've totally reinvented the truck. They've made plastic mold. Like we've seen that it happen over the last few years in the supply chain issue where there's been plastic moldings for headlights specific just to that vehicle and it's a 14 that, and if anything goes wrong at all in the entire supply chain, they can't get the parts or the production shuts down. We used off-the-shelf parts that, like, realistically, the patents expired on these parts 40 years ago, which means lots of people are mass-producing because they were on so many trucks, which means we didn't have supply chain issues, which means we didn't have to have engineers designing fancy headlights that are super... We just used parts off the shelf that I could go into any parts store. So when we actually built this truck, we were able to get it built really quickly, really cost-effectively, and we were actually able to develop it in record time. And everyone was wondering, like, we've seen it from the big companies. Oh, how did Edison Motors do that? That's just a small group of guys working up in northern Canada. How were they able to build an electric truck? Well, we just used parts that you could source. We didn't make everything good, redesign the wheel as so it was. Absolutely. So if people want to know more about what Edison uh, Motors does, how can they find out? Uh, YouTube. YouTube is probably the best one. Uh, Edison Motors. Absolutely. Chase Barber, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me uh, on. To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com and you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller. 